Chapter One of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado. Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter One New Plans. "'So this is to be your first day in Wall Street, Rufus,' said Miss Manning. "'Yes,' said Rufus. "'I've retired from the newspaper business on a large fortune, "'and now I'm going into business in Wall Street just to occupy my time.' The last speaker was a stout, well-grown boy of fifteen, with a pleasant face, calculated to inspire confidence. He looked manly and self-reliant, and firm of purpose.' For years he had been a newsboy, plying his trade in the streets of New York, and by his shrewdness and a certain ready wit, joined with attention to business, he had met with better success than most of his class. He had been a leader among them, and had received the name of Rough and Ready, suggested in part, no doubt, by his name Rufus, but the appellation described not inaptly his prominent traits. He understood thoroughly how to take care of himself and thought it no hardship that, at an age when most boys are tenderly cared for, he was sent out into the streets to shift for himself. His mother had been dead for some time. His stepfather, James Martin, was a drunkard, and he had been compelled to take away his little sister Rose from the miserable home in which he had kept her, and had undertaken to support her as well as himself. He had been fortunate enough to obtain a home for her with Miss Manning, a poor seamstress, whom he paid for her services in taking care of Rose. His stepfather, in order to thwart and torment him, had stolen the little girl away and kept her in Brooklyn for a while, until Rufus got a clue to her whereabouts and succeeded in getting her back. At the time when the story opens, he had just recovered her, and having been fortunate enough to render an important service to Mr. Turner, a Wall Street broker, was on this Monday morning to enter his office at a salary of eight dollars a week this sketch of the newsboy's early history is given for the benefit of those who have not read the book called rough and ready in which it is related at length it is necessary to add that rufus was in some sense a capitalist having five hundred dollars deposited in a savings bank to his credit of this sum he had found three hundred one day which as no claimant ever appeared for it he had been justified in appropriating to his own use. The remainder had been given him by Mr. Turner, in partial acknowledgment of the service before referred to. "'Your new life will seem strange to you at first, Rufus,' said Miss Manning. "'Yes, it does already. When I woke up this morning, I was going to jump out of bed in a hurry, thinking I must go round to Nassau Street to get my papers. Then, all at once, I thought that I'd given up being a newsboy. But it seemed queer.' "'I didn't know but you'd gone back to your old business,' said the seamstress, pointing to a paper in his hand. "'It's this morning's Herald,' explained Rufus. "'You and Rose will have to be looking for another room where Martin can't find you. You'll find two columns of advertisements of boarders and lodgers wanted, so you can take your choice.' "'I'll go out this morning,' said the seamstress. "'All right. Take Rose along with you, or you may find her missing when you get back.' There was considerable reason to fear that the stepfather, James Martin, would make a fresh attempt to get possession of Rose, and Rufus felt that it was prudent to guard against this. 
"'Have you had breakfast, Rufus?' "'Yes, I got breakfast at the lodging-house.' Here it may be remarked that Rufus had enjoyed advantages superior to most of his class, and spoke more correctly in general, but occasionally fell into modes of pronunciation such as he was accustomed to hear from his street associates. He had lately devoted a part of his evenings to study under the superintendence of Miss Manning, who, coming originally from a country home, had had a good common school education. "'It's time I was going down to the office,' said Rufus. "'Good morning, Miss Manning.' "'Good morning, Rosie,' as he stooped to kiss his little sister, a pretty little girl of eight. "'Good morning, Woofie. Don't let Mr. Martin carry you off.' <laughs> "'I think he'd have a harder job to carry me off than you, Rosie,' said Rufus, laughing. "'Don't engage lodgings on Fifth Avenue, Miss Manning. I'm afraid it would take more than I can earn in Wall Street to pay my share of the expense.' "'I shall be content with a humbler home,' said the seamstress, smiling." Rufus left the little room, which, by the way, looked out on Franklin Street near the Hudson River, and the seamstress, taking the herald, turned to the column of boarders and lodgers wanted. There was a long list, but the greater part of the rooms advertised were quite beyond her slender means. Remembering that it would be prudent to get out of their present neighborhood in order to put the drunken stepfather off the track, she looked for places farther uptown. The objection to this, however, was— that prices advance as you go up town. Still, the streets near the river are not considered so eligible, and she thought that they might find something there. She therefore marked one place on Spring Street, another on Leroy Street, and still another, though with some hesitation, on Christopher Street. She feared that Rufus would object to this as too far uptown. Now put on your things, Rose, and we'll take a walk. "'That will be nice,' said Rose, and the little girl ran to get her shawl and bonnet. When she was dressed for the street, Rose would hardly have been taken for the sister of a newsboy. She had a pretty face, full of vivacity and intelligence, and her brother's pride in her had led him to dress her better than might have been expected from his small means. Many children of families in good circumstances were less neatly and tastefully dressed than Rose. Taking the little girl by the hand, Miss Manning led the way down the narrow staircase. It was far from a handsome house in which they had thus far made their home. The wallpaper was torn from the wall in places, revealing patches of bare plastering. There was a faded and worn oilcloth upon the stairs, while outside the rooms at intervals, along the entry, were buckets of dirty water and rubbish, which had been temporarily placed there by the occupants. As it was Monday, washing was going on in several of the rooms, and the vapor arising from hot suds found its way into the entry from one or two half-open doors. On the whole, it was not a nice or savory home, and the seamstress felt no regret in leaving it. But the question was, would she be likely to find a better? The seamstress made her way first to Spring Street. She was led to infer from the advertisement that she might find cheap accommodations. But when she found herself in front of the house designated— she found it so dirty and neglected in appearance that she did not feel like entering. She was sure it would not suit her. Next, she went to Leroy Street. Here she found a neat-looking three-story brick house. She rang the bell. "'You advertise a room to let,' she said to the servant. "'Can I look at it?' "'I'll speak to the missus,' said the girl. Soon a portly lady made her appearance. "'You have a room to let?' said Miss Manning interrogatively. "'Yes.' "'Can I look at it?' "'It's for a gentleman,' said the lady. "'I don't take ladies. 
besides it's rather expensive and she glanced superciliously at the plain attire of the seamstress of course there was no more to be said so miss manning and rose made their way into the street once more the last on the list was christopher street come rose are you tired of walking oh no said the child i can walk ever so far without getting tired christopher street is only three blocks from leroy in less than ten minutes they found themselves before the house advertised it was a fair-looking house but the seamstress found on inquiry that the room was a large one on the second floor and that the rent would be beyond her means she was now at the end of her list i think rose she said we will go to washington square and sit down on one of the seats i shall have to look over the paper again this square is a park of considerable size comprising very nearly ten acres up to eighteen thirty two it had been for years used as a potter's field or public cemetery and it is estimated that more than one hundred thousand bodies were buried there but in eighteen thirty two it became a park there is a basin and a fountain in the centre and it is covered with trees of considerable size at frequent intervals there are benches for the accommodation of those who desire to pass an hour or two in the shade of the trees in the afternoon particularly may be seen a large number of children playing in the walks and nursemaids drawing their young charges in carriages or sitting with them on the seats rose was soon busied in watching the sports of some children of her age while miss manning carefully scanned the advertisements but she found nothing to reward her search at length her attention was drawn to the following advertisement number blank waverly place two small rooms terms reasonable that must be close by thought the seamstress she was right for waverly place commencing at broadway runs along the northern side of washington square before the uptown movement commenced it was a fashionable quarter and even now as may be inferred from the character of the houses is a very nice and respectable street particularly that part which fronts the square miss manning could see the number mentioned from where she was seated and saw at a glance that it was a nice house of course it was beyond her means she said that to herself still prompted by an impulse which she did not attempt to resist she determined to call and make inquiries about the rooms advertised End of chapter one